0: We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Zoe Dodd and Peter Leslie. Harm reduction is an approach to responding to addiction that focuses on meeting people where they're at in terms of substance use and working with them to reduce negative health outcomes there is considerable evidence that a harm reduction approach has better health outcomes overall than approaches which insist that people completely cease using substances before they're eligible for supports. Of course, the programs and practices of harm reduction don't just happen on their own, but are enacted by people. That is, by workers. And one key element in most harm reduction work is to employ workers who have lived experience of whatever is the focus. And what that means is that, though harm reduction work and harm reduction workers are often incredibly effective, both their overall experience of social marginalization and, crucially, organizational practices in their workplaces generally mean they have a very different experience of those workplaces than the professionalized health and social service workers that tend to comprise the balance of their colleagues. At a forum for harm reduction workers in Toronto in April 2014, The word union was on many participants' lips. There was a lot of real talk about the issues they shared with each other, but not with the other folks at their employing organizations. After some preliminary organizing and consulting, a core group of about 30 harm reduction workers held the founding convention for the Toronto Harm Reduction Workers' Union in July as a local of the Industrial Workers of the World, also called the Wobblies, a union with a reputation for being grassroots, democratic, and rabble-rousing. They went public in the fall and launched a crowdfunding campaign via the GoFundMe platform and are currently busily building their organization. Dodd and Leslie are harm reduction workers and are active in the union, and they talk with me about harm reduction work, about the union, and about their plans for the future of what is the world's first union specifically for harm reduction workers. We spoke by Skype to phone from Toronto. My
1: is Peter Leslie. I'm a harm reduction worker. I work in community health and with corrections. I've been working in harm reduction since 2006, and prior to that, I was with EMS. I was paramedic.
2: My name is Zoe Dodd. As a harm reduction worker, I've been working in hepatitis C for a decade, and I've been working as a harm reduction advocate and a drug user activist Mm -hmm. for about 10 years. So the union, we're an organization of harm reduction workers who are united together in solidarity to improve our working conditions and to strengthen equality in the workplace for the betterment of the workers and those who access the services. Harm reduction is an evidence-based and practical approach to dealing with the harms associated with drug use, and it's any program or policy designed to reduce drug-related harm. Harm reduction is something that drug users were practicing long before the term harm reduction was coined. People were taking care of each other, really based in mutual aid. It actually came as a response to the HIV epidemic in terms of it being professionalized. So it really became like a response to HIV and the formation of needle exchange programs is something most people are the most familiar with when it comes to harm reduction. It can also be the distribution of other supplies used for using drugs. Harm reduction can also be policy in regards to bad drug laws. It also can be housing home reduction can be related to alcohol use, not just illicit drugs. But it is also really political because it's something that is really underfunded but is really evidence-based and has worked really well to reduce transmission of HIV in particular amongst injection drug users.
1: It's a real viable alternative to the standard treatment that we see with residential treatment with the 12-step movement and the medical model for recovering from drug use or alcohol use. It's an alternative, and it's a philosophy based in, like Zoe said, evidence and public health, epidemiology, and science.
2: I became involved in harm reduction back in 2004. I hang out with a lot of people who use drugs. I came from a community of a lot of people who use drugs. And I actually went back to school on a whim. My friend was going to school and I thought, what the hell, I'd never go to school. Maybe I'll go to college too. And it was there that I learned more about harm reduction and also started talking more openly about my own past experiences with drug use, which I felt completely and totally ashamed and stigmatized by. So harm reduction was also something that I think for me had such a personal and profound impact on me in terms of like getting a job and work where I could relate with the people that I was working with and also it worked as like an anti-stigma thing for myself personally. So when I started, I started as an HIV AIDS outreach worker and then got really interested in Hep C because Hep C was something that nobody was really paying attention to. It's an epidemic that's impacting drug users so heavily. People were not getting access to treatment or care or support. And I started being a hep C worker and then became an advocate for people living with hep C. And I helped to start one of the first hep C programs, community-based programs, that offers treatment care and support to people who use drugs that actually supports and treats people in a community health care setting, not in the hospital where it's mostly delivered. And it's been really awesome last 10 years. It's hard work because you're also serving communities that are really marginalized and impacted by the war on drugs and incarceration and homelessness and poverty. And it does take a bit of a toll on your spirit sometimes because I've also been really impacted by loss of friends who have died as a result of the drug war or, you know, friends who are really impacted by living with HIV and Hep C. My personal my motivation originally also came from a loss that I suffered of someone who I loved very much who OD'd and who also had Hep C and lived with an incredible amount of shame.
1: I been kind of a latecomer to harm reduction. I wasn't introduced to harm reduction until 2006 and this was after 11 treatment centers and 14 years in so-called recovery. I've been a drug user since my early teens. and. During my EMS years, I attended countless hundreds of overdoses, many of them fatal. So I came with that background and that knowledge, and working with the EMS and working with the police and other emergency services, I realized that the system was ill-equipped to deal with overdose, frankly, because a lot of people are ostracized, vilified, criminalized, targeted by the police, and so they are fearful of calling 911, and... Not to concentrate solely on overdose, but that's what drew me into uh, harm reduction. And I've lost many personal friends to overdose and to HIV and to hep C. All the treatment centers I went to, I didn't see a lot of compassion, frankly. As people were not choosing abstinence and total being clean and sober and those kind of terms, they were cast out of that system. And the success rate of treatment centers is quite abysmal. And for myself growing up, quite privileged, you know, good education, good family. And I thought, well, if I can't do this, if I can't fit into the system, then how can people who've suffered great injustice in their lives, a lot of abuse, how can we expect them to make this great? And harm production doesn't cast people out. We open the door to everybody. We treat them where they're at that day. And we don't put expectations on people that are unrealistic. We're the Mm anti-medical disease model, and I'm quite proud of that. Some of my best friends are drug users, injection drug users, and I dare say I cherish those friendships.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Tell me about the founding of the union, about some of the conversations around the need for it and then the steps that people followed to make it a reality.
2: Harm reduction and its practice and needle exchanges grew out of the 80s and the 90s. And there was more and more push for people with lived experience, particularly people who use drugs, to become workers at these organizations. And so in Toronto, there's actually, like, a lot of organizations. There's a lot of workers. There are people who have been working in the same organizations for a really long time. But the work itself, in terms of pay and equity, became really stagnant. We did a good job of getting people jobs and, like, finding out different ways to train people and employ people. But in terms of how people are being treated or what's happening in harm reduction per se, things have kind of shifted. And so those conversations have been taking place as long as I've been a worker. I worked at an agency once where, you know, the workers felt really marginalized where there were seven workers working into one computer and a student would get a student placement and they'd have their own computer and their own phone. so real equity issues where maybe the workplaces aren't seeing these equity issues or discrimination would start to happen or you'd be at work and like people on staff knew that you were hired there for lived experience and wouldn't even talk to you. And workers just feeling isolated in their work and in what they did and feeling very impacted by not only being people who are deeply impacted by the war on drugs and being casualties as such, but also working in it and working in harm reduction. So there was a forum organized through the Toronto Harm Reduction Alliance back in April. It was actually the first time that workers had ever come together to talk specifically just about work. There were 100 workers there, and it was quite a profound day. It was really exciting, actually. But the stuff that came up was heartbreaking, and nobody could really walk away from that and not want to do something. You know, workers who were getting paid in, like, pizza and tokens or food cards or, you know, doing labor for less than minimum wage. And then there will be projects that organizations will get funding for. And then you think about the money that went into that project to create some sort of pamphlet and the hours people could have been paid instead for their labor. So we decided to start looking around to form a union and thought that, you know, workers should come together. We should be able to organize around these issues. We should be able to push forward more equity in the workplace and increases in wages and benefits. And so we started asking around to see if there were unions interested in organizing across the sector. We approached IWW because we were really impressed with the way that they supported the Porter strike.
0: And just a quick interruption to provide some context. The strike that Dodd is referring to was a strike by refuelers and customer service employees of Porter Airlines that lasted for five months and ended in June of 2013. It became quite a high-profile strike and was the focus of significant solidarity organizing in the broader labor movement and in non-labor community spaces as well.
2: And because they were also a union that had organized sex workers and prison workers, and we thought, wow, that actually would fit us. So we approached the IWW and started to organize ourselves and decided to form a union. And we had our founding convention in July and voted to go with the IWW. And then we became public.
3: Tell me about the process leading up to the convention. Was it the relationships that had crystallized in that earlier forum that you drew on in bringing people into the convention? Or was there more outreach and organizing process leading into that?
2: Working in this field, you know people well. A lot of us have worked in harm reduction for a long time. We sit on coalitions together. We sit at lots of tables together. So we just talk to each other a lot. And then there was maybe about 30 of us who came together for that founding convention and decided that this is a thing we wanted to do and to move forward on it. And there was a lot of talking to each other and organizing meetings up into it and just making sure that this is what people wanted to do. And there was a lot of push for it. People at that forum, throughout the day, people kept saying the word union. That's what people wanted. They wanted to form a union and that we would work on these issues around work and see ourselves as part of the labor movement. I mean, a lot of workers, like, they didn't even feel like workers. They were made to feel like they weren't workers. And people are really made to feel like they're lucky to have a job because, yes, because they're a person who uses drugs or, you know, multiple reasons. They're homeless or have experiences with homelessness. But they're working. They're putting in hours. They're doing labor. And that is work. And they're part of the working class. That was also something that was really important to try to convey to people. What we do, we make harm reduction work. We are workers. We do labor. We should get paid for that labor, and we should be treated equitably. We had a convention in July, and it was just founding who we were, founding our mission statement, deciding on, like, what is harm reduction, voting on all those things, discussing, like, what is a harm reduction worker, and just moving forward on founding ourselves. About 30 people were there who all voted to join the IWW.
3: And in the initial investigating that you did leading up to the convention, you said before deciding to go with the Wobblies, you were in touch with a few more conventional unions. What kind of response did you get from them?
2: Because we wanted to organize across organizations, it wasn't something that they could really do with us because people are working in organizations where some are already unionized with the different unions So there's, like, UFCW, OXU, and QP are the main ones where the harm reduction workers are. That was one issue. And the other one was we wanted to do something a little bit different. Part of the problem with some of the business unions is that we didn't really think that they would speak to the issues of harm reduction when it came to, like, funding and the precarious work. And we wanted something without all the hierarchy and paid staffers and presidents and something that we could actually be more directly involved with and democratic. And so I think the wobblies for us just seem like the best fit as people who are really marginalized, as workers who are marginalized, We like the style of being able to organize ourselves. And it's something as drug users and as harm reduction workers that we've been doing for like as long as harm reduction and drug use has existed. And I think, too, because people are already working in places where there's unions and they're not in their unions, they just felt like the due structure for unions is kind of expensive for some workers. And the Wobblies have a a much better due structure where people can opt out if they don't want to be in the union anymore, that they voluntarily pay. We have like a sub-minimum due for people who are not making very much money, which is only $5 a month. And also that we wanted to organize unemployed workers, lots of unions, they organize the workplace and not the workers. That was my experience in a union drive years ago at another organization. I lost my job through that process of organizing. The union came in, but then I wasn't a member of that union anymore because it was about organizing that workplace. So when I left after two years of helping with that drive, not being able to be a part of the union really bothered me. It's not the kind of organizing that I believe should exist. I think if anyone wants to be in a union, they should be able to be in a union.
1: I'm in my mid-50s. I've belonged to three different unions in my working life. And frankly, it was a one-way conversation. The hierarchy, the bureaucracy, and believe me, I realize the value and the need for unions. But for our purposes, I think this is an ideal fit. It's heavy on advocacy and education. And given that the work we do is often vilified or stigmatized and looked down upon, frankly. And the Wobblies have been very, um, They've been so cool. they treated us really well.
3: Tell me about the steps between the founding convention and when you went public. What had to happen between those things?
2: We had to educate and talk to other folks. We did a bunch of workshops, talking to workers, and we engaged in like discussions with people we worked with and started talking to them about what we were up to. We wanted to get at least 60 people signed up before we went public. And then we realized that, you know, it might be harder to go public across the whole city. Things might get hot at different workplaces, and we may not be prepared for what that may look like. So we decided that we would go public in two places first that have a lot of harm reduction workers, So I work at South Riverdale, and that workplace has probably the most harm reduction workers. We have the largest harm reduction program. So we felt strongly that that would be a place that would be good to go public because we have been the leaders in lots of different things and thought that if our workplace gets on side, that it will make it easier for other workplaces to be open and public. And if things went hot in other places, we'd be able to offer support much more quickly than if we went public across the city. Our plan is to organize all the workers into the union and to continue to grow and build. We all had over 50 members. We went public when we had only 50. We had still had lots of workers who were interested in wanting to sign up, and we've been getting lots of response from workers who want to meet and sign up and be in the union. It's been really exciting, actually.
3: Where do you think are the key sources of support beyond harm reduction workers yourselves? Are there allies in the broader community and other activist sectors in other labor contexts that have been or look like they're going to be supportive of the work that you're doing?
2: Yeah, there's been excitement from other people involved in unions and labor organizing. They think what we're doing is really remarkable and exciting. We have support from the International Network of People Who Use Drugs, which is a huge network internationally of drug user activists. There's been grassroots organizations like AIDS Action Now and OCAP.
0: And uh, OCAP is the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty, which is a direct action anti-poverty group based in Toronto.
2: Who have been incredibly supportive of us. OCAP lent us their office space while we were organizing. And many of us are actually involved in some of those organizations. You know, we're all radical workers who recognize that a lot of the issues that people face isn't really to do with drugs. A lot of it is to do with racism and poverty and incarceration and criminalization and colonialism. So a lot of us are involved in lots of different campaigns. And we've been finding support from other people who are all involved in radical organizing and other people involved in the labor movement. And it's been really, really awesome. It was really nice when we went public how many people came forward and supported us and how that support continues to pour out We need it. It's actually been awesome when we've been meeting and talking about who's, like, sent a letter or sent an email. That has really kept our morale high, and it's made it really exciting for us to continue organizing. We know what we're doing is important, and we want to continue to build and grow. And so having those allies and having that support is good for other workers to see. We're workers who just took it upon ourselves to start organizing. I mean, we have a lot of history of organizing all sorts of things. Many of us were involved in the Safer Crack Use Coalition, which helped create these like safer crack use kits for crack users and started programs that were directed at crack users specifically since that's the most commonly used drug in Toronto. A lot of us have been part of the first of many things, so we've taken a lot of those skills that we use to organize around those issues that directly impact drug users and are using that in this organizing campaign.
3: So give the listeners the pitch for the uh, crowdfunding campaign.
2: (laughs) So yeah, so on our website, which is at thrwu.org, people can look at our frequently asked questions and get more information about the union. And we're really happy to talk to other workers so if other harm reduction workers are listening, not in Toronto, even listening beyond. We're really excited to talk to people about what we've been doing and how we've been organizing. And then we have a GoFundMe. The GoFundMe has actually gained some traction, which is super exciting. It's GoFundMe.com slash G C eight nine seven O. And we're on Facebook as well and on Twitter. And we're the Toronto Harm Reduction Workers Union on both of those. And the GoFundMe page is linked to that. We are a bunch of workers who are broke. A lot of workers don't have a lot of money. We are doing this all ourselves. We pay dues, but a lot of people pay low dues. And so, you know, we're looking for funding that can help us with our first year, that can help us with childcare. some of the workers are parents. So we want to make sure they can attend meetings. TTC, so that's our transit, is expensive and a lot of workers can't afford transit in the City of Toronto, so just making sure we have tokens at meetings so that isn't a barrier for attending and food for our meetings because some workers who are working, you know, don't have enough to eat, they don't have enough money, like some people are still homeless and they're still making it to work. So just making sure that our meetings are accessible, including just funding to get off the ground with our campaigns and we would like to print T-shirts so that all the workers can show up at work wearing their Toronto Harm Reduction Worker Union T-shirts with pride at their job sites.
3: And tell me more about some of the key concrete things that you see coming up that the union's going to be doing over the next two, four, six months.
2: Right now, it is just building the union. That's our focus, is just getting more workers involved and going public in more workplaces. That's going to be our focus for the next few months, and then we'll see from there You know, we just got a new mayor in the city of Toronto. We'll see what he decides. A lot of organizations are dependent on city grants for HIV and drug strategy grants. So we'll see what happens if he plans to cut it. He's quite conservative. We'll see what happens from there. We may just be responding to things. We also have an incredibly conservative federal government who's really opposed to harm reduction, who's expanded prisons and changed the drug laws, and all of that is impacting workers, including the passing of Bill C-36 around sex work. That will impact our work as well in terms of who we work with and people being incarcerated. So we will probably be responding to things as they come along and deciding as we go. We still need to have more meetings to make decisions around what our focus will be and, you know, working on campaigns from there. So I just want to be more prepared for there are cuts and there are lots of jobs, again, that we will be prepared to be able to talk about those and be able to, like, fight for those jobs.
3: So if the organizing and the, the building of the union goes well, What do you hope that it looks like in two years?
2: I hope that it looks like over 200 workers, that we have lots of committees running, we've made some gains in the workplaces around issues of equity and wages, that we're involved in the labor struggle with other labor unions and other workers and supporting them as well, that workers who are working in harm reduction see themselves as workers and are proud to be part of the working class, And I hope we have some things for our own good and welfare set up because we've lost a lot of workers, which is hard and sad to talk about. But we've worked with lots of people who are not here anymore, where work is something that keeps a lot of people alive. And so we do need to be able to also set up our own. We want to set up a group for people who are still using drugs and working to come together to talk about that and also do some stuff around grief and loss. When you work in a hospice or a hospital, you're prepared for the death. That's the kind of work you do when you work in palliative care. But when you work in harm reduction, you lose people all the time. You get to know people over years. Maybe they're people from your own community. And the loss is huge, and it's not something talked about enough. So just being able to support each other more is really important. It's not easy work, but it's really rewarding and necessary work. So I hope in the future we're just like operating and we've had a lot of wins and we've really improved the workplace conditions. One of the things we talk a lot about in our union is that Drug laws in Canada were not based on whether drugs were good or bad. They weren't based on drugs being bad for a population. They actually came out of early labor struggles. And it was actually the labor minister in Canada who passed Canada's first drug laws with the Opium Act and targeted Chinese workers specifically, and it was like just dripping in racism. When you look at the drug laws and the way they've impacted workers, we feel that what we're doing in harm reduction is really part of the labor struggle. We've been on the front lines fighting poverty and bad drug laws for years, decades. And we want to continue to do so in a really organized way. We would love to see the end of the drug war, the end of incarceration of people who use drugs and incarcerating people just for what they put in their bodies. It has ravaged communities. It has been racist. It has targeted people of color. It has ruined people's lives, the drug war. It has taken lives of people we love and care about, our families and our friends, and so, yes, we see ourselves as workers, but we see ourselves as also fighting on the front lines to change those laws. And also, you know, capitalism and austerity, which is also ravaging us. We're facing really hard times around gentrification and austerity and poverty. And so the issues is so much larger than just HIV and Hep C. And so we want to be organized to respond to that and to be able to take care of the communities from which we're from.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Zoe Dodd and Peter Leslie, harm reduction workers and active members of the new Toronto Harm Reduction Workers Union, the first of its kind in the world. To learn more about the union, go to thrwu.org, that's thrwu.org, and to find out how to donate to their GoFundMe campaign, click on the button in the sidebar marked Support Us. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca.